Welcome to Leadership Secrets, where we explore the key elements of leadership, communication, and teamwork. I'm Barry Mullane, and I believe everyone can lead from anywhere in an organization, no matter what their job title may be. Let's learn some leadership secrets together. Today, my guest is Henry Martinez. Henry is the general manager of the Imperial Irrigation District in Southern California. Welcome, Henry. It's great to see you. Well, thank you, Barry, and uh, looking forward to having this session here with you. Great. So, Henry, describe your journey to become a CEO, and along the way, talk about some of the those big lessons that you've learned. Well, thank you for the question, uh, Barry. It's been uh, many years I've been in the industry, uh, thinking back in regards to my formative years. Uh, I was always intrigued by science. I recall as a kid <clears throat> looking at the uh, space shuttle, or not even the space shuttle, going back to the capsules back in the 50s when the first rockets were being uh, experimented with. And it was just, it just intrigued me, the whole aspect of science and how all of those designs and rockets and just in general putting people into space, it was just an amazing feat. And got me more interested in, in the aspects of uh, science and mathematics but I also had an interest in music, which was kind of unusual. Uh, not necessarily unusual, but an interest to learn also how to play instruments. And I always thought about the aspect of this symbolism, or at least the aspect of, of learning music and the patterns and the aspects of how music flows are composed and played with the contrast of mathematics, science, and industry, and all those kind of things. And, and somehow I was able to kind of master, I wouldn't say master them, but at least be good enough to feel like I did a decent job in both areas. Uh, the other part that was kind of interesting is uh, playing sports uh, in my career also in my early years. And uh, also how that brought uh, a sense of not only teamwork, but the aspects of your role in the team and how collectively as a group you achieve goals, objectives, winning a team or you know winning a, a game, uh, hard practice, repetition, plays you have to remember, and of course, all those <clears throat> more structured type of environment. I think that set me up to kind of think about the aspects of what, where I want to go and what I wanted to do. And, and clearly it was, you know, science, mathematics, I got into engineering. Once I got into engineering, I felt that there were <clears throat> other avenues that kind of appeared uh, really, not because I saw them, but because opportunities that showed up, showed up in my different jobs. And gradually, I started moving more and more to a management position while still retaining my technical skills. And as I noticed my technical skills uh, become, uh, what I would say, fairly solidified, uh, I began to learn more and more, you know, more, more and more about leadership, uh, management, leading people, working with people, and, and frankly, uh, taking on more complex type of tasks and roles that, you know, did not really train for, but I was able to navigate through that. Once you realize that you kind of learn as much as you could, you go back to school, uh, went back and uh, got more into the business side of the, of the equations uh, and the business uh, principles uh, and rehone my skills uh, to understand those more complex matters. And over time, that became kind of my, the combination of engineering technical activities with um, business and leadership that led me to where we are today or where I'm at today. And progressing to the latter, uh, you know, it's like learning your basic skills, enhancing your basic skills, going to the next level, 
and keep building your repertoire, your uh, knowledge and information, and ability really to uh, undertake more and more contest, uh, complex uh, tasks. The other thing that was interesting is that I remember years ago, um, a very good tutor and somebody that really took me under his wing. Uh, I still remember to today that his advice was that in many cases when you're in your career, you don't dictate where you go or what jobs you're going to have. Uh, but your job is basically to be ready when the opportunity occurs because other people are making those decisions for you. And that always stuck in my mind because uh, indeed there were times in my career where I felt almost overlooked or maybe or frustrated because I didn't get a job I really wanted to have. But when this gentleman shared this uh, fact or, or thought process, you know, to me, it really made a lot of sense that, you know, those type of things come uh, when when somebody feels you're, you know, you're at the right time, at the right age, uh, you know, skill set level, whatever it may be, that they make the decision for you. But your job is to continue to stay ready and when the opportunity comes. So that's a long story, you know, to kind of give you an, uh, a little bit of insight in my, my career and the things I've learned along the way uh, to get to where I am today. So what sports did you play? So I played, uh, of course, you know, the typical stuff, you know, baseball, and I played uh, so tennis and uh, basketball. But uh, my main uh, sport was soccer, and I actually played inter intercollegiate soccer when I was at uh, Cal State Fullerton, which was uh, the school I went to. It was interesting that uh, the sport also, again, balancing uh, intercollegiate sports with education was another interesting way to kind of manage your time and manage your uh, interests. I wouldn't, you know, I was not really a star. I didn't have all the skills that many of my teammates had, but, you know, I, I held my own, but I also was carrying a full load of engineering classes. And so I had to basically uh, balance those two uh, interest levels and try to be successful at both. Being a CEO means that you're responsible for a lot of things. That includes your product, your service, your customers, your staff, and, and your community. I call it the leader's awesome responsibility. How would you describe, when you put all the things that you're responsible for, how would you describe your awesome responsibility? Well, um, you know, when I step back and look at what my role and what I'm responsible for, it can be overwhelming. Um, I'm delivering 3.5 million acre feet of water from the Colorado River uh, to half a million acres of farmland, transferring water from that uh, water allocation to San Diego in the Coachella Valley, uh, maintaining, of course, the prices of energy, of water and energy, both on a steady state for our customers, serving 167,000 customers in our service territory, making sure it's reliable power, affordable, and particularly in the summertime when their temperatures here become uh, very high in the high you know, 120 at times. Air conditioning load and the health of our customers is very, very much in, in, in the forefront. And, uh, and again, you know, overlooking or seeing all those responsibilities that, that this job carries, uh, I, it's sometimes overwhelming that, you know, this is what I'm responsible for. And that's in addition to the uh, over 1,100 employees, uh, almost 4, uh, 1,200 employees that we have in the district here that uh, are responsible for uh, providing those services to our customers on a 24-7 basis. So it, it's, uh, it can be daunting and, uh, and overwhelming, but I, I kind of look at it from the perspective of more of a practical matter uh, of delegation to very talented staff, trusting them to do the right thing 
also uh, at times uh, engaging when I have to, to help things to move forward or assist them when they need some help as well. And so again, it goes back to the whole concept of teamwork. You can't do it all by yourself. You have to rely on your staff and also trust them to do the right thing. And again, bringing that whole concept around the teamwork aspect of all, all of us working together for a common cause is, is really what drives all of us here to do a good job. Thinking back to your childhood, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you ever think you'd be a utility general manager? No, not really. Actually, uh, I want to be an astronaut. Like I shared with you before, that was kind of my my aspect. I was thinking as a kid, you know, I can really, that would be really fun to do and something really be great to achieve. My parents wanted me, wanted me to be a doctor, you know, going to the medical field. And I just never had an appetite or interest in that whatsoever. I hated needles. <laughs> uh, and I think that was one of, the, one of those early signs that told me this is not the field you want to go into. But, you know, uh, my parents were very supportive. Uh, I was the first college graduate in my family. I was the oldest in a family of six. My parents uh, brought us from Mexico when I was 10 years old and my siblings were much smaller. So we came to this country here with basically very little education. I said, well, education in English or, you know, here in the U.S. But uh, that uh, basically provided a good platform and with their support and assistance, you know, helped me move through my educational process and then set me up for uh, career objectives. When did you feel like you became a leader? Was there, was there a moment or an experience that you had when you said, you know, I think I can do this? Well, you know, uh, internally, uh, I felt that uh, I was probably ready in my mid-career, and this is when I was a uh, middle, I would say, well, high to middle level management, right below the executive level. And I had a pretty good level of responsibility for uh, remote locations uh, in about 250 people across uh, our service territory when I was working for Southern California Edison. Really, when I think uh, the realization came to mind uh, of how the leadership position was and what it meant to be a leader, really came when I left Southern Cal Edison and I was offered a vice president's position at the Tennessee Valley Authority. That job basically that I accepted, I had to move from my comfort zone entirely. I left company and the network that I had established. I moved uh, from Southern California to um, Tennessee, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I set up a whole new network of individuals that I work with and, and people that work for me. My age was also, uh, I was 39 years old at the time, coming into this new new job with new responsibilities. And that was really the first time when I really felt like now I really got to use everything I've learned up to now. And not only use what I learned up to that point, but also be strong enough to convince my direct reports that this is the way we wanted to go. And also make some tough choices in regards to how implementation of some of the programs they initiated had to be done. So, so kind of to me that that time, and this was in 1992, kind of brought all those pieces together. And 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 I guess the moment that really caught my, and I still remember this, going to my boss at the time, who was a senior vice president, and I asked him about two or three things I wanted to do. And I felt, well, I'm going to bounce it off him. He's going to tell me yes, no, or whatever. And his answer to me was basically, <clears throat> that is your job to make those decisions. I don't know anything about your, your, your function. So it's really, it's your decision. And all of a sudden it hit me like a rock, uh, you know, between the eyes. It is my job and it is my responsibility. And 
the accountability is up to me now, and uh, I got to make it work. And it was uh, definitely a, a, what they call a significant emotional event, <laughs> if you remember from those uh, old terms that we used to use years ago. Uh, it really brought to light the role and, and the responsibility I decided to undertake. That is fascinating that, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you go to someone for advice and they say, you know, it's on you. <laughs> it's it's not it's not my decision. It's all on you. That's uh, it's kind of like a it's cold water, you know, in the face. But uh, but it it does allow you to realize and that hey, I've got some responsibility here. I'm ready for it. You know, yeah. it seemed like that's what you know how it turned out. Yeah, the validation I think uh, for me was that number one that uh, he he felt strong enough and and comfortable enough that I would I would do the right decision <clears throat> that I had the the wherewithal and, and the background and experience to really make the right calls and he was going to be there behind me on you know basically on the outcome of those uh, responsibilities but but yeah that was a, that was a really an eye opening and uh, and I still to this day remember that conversation. <laughs> Yeah, pushing like pushing you out of the nest. <laughs> exactly. exactly <laughs> it's time yeah. to fly. Exactly. So, so the first time you became a CEO, how was that transition? Was it smooth, bumpy? You know, how long did it take for you to figure things out when you were the the top person? You know, when you're from out, outside, kind of looking in, you kind of get a sense of the issues that are critical and have evolved over time with the organization. But it's not until you actually sit in, you know, sit. sit on the job and start really discussing the issues with staff and you start getting the download on issues that have been pending, uh, ongoing, or even the history of how some of those issues uh, originated. And in our case here with the district, uh, I mean, some of these, uh, as you know, the, the district is 110 years old. This was formed in 1911. It has uh, a long, long uh, history, both on the energy and and, and water, particularly the water side, historical um, uh, milestones that uh, were basically uh, created the, the district and going back to, you know, federal legislation on the Hoover Dam and creation of the All-American Canal, appropriation of water or water rights that were established back in those years. And the series of events that happened over time that basically put the district in its current position. Same thing on the electric side, uh, the compromises uh, that were also made uh, back in the 30s. And, uh, and over time, the number of events that happened that basically shaped uh, how our district as uh, service territory was created. Uh, and then understanding that, and, you know, uh, as these uh, arrangements, compromises come to a point of uh, completion or ending those those compacts, uh, you have to basically start thinking about what the future is going to look like. So, so it, it takes time to really kind of process, understand process, and and figure out you know what are the alternatives that you have to take to continue to have the organization succeed in the future. But uh, it's uh, it can be overwhelming. I find myself really. Try to do it in, in, in more in incremental quantities that can actually absorb and understand uh, rather than just uh, try to understand it all. It's just, it's just difficult to do so. From now in my fourth year, I mean, I, there's so many, there's many, many things that I'm still learning, but I think there's enough um, experience that I gained to this point that I can really safely say I'm very comfortable in many of the, many of the fields that uh, three years ago, it, it would have been a challenge for me to make the, the right decision. How would you describe your leadership philosophy? 
the philosophy that I have over time, of course, is to trust my my employees to do the right thing. They've been selected and then themselves have been, uh, you know, learned and uh, experienced their jobs over a period of time, uh, bring, you know, a number of different talents into the organization. And I try to maximize bringing them on board and giving them assignments both for development and for and execution. And so I kind of uh, I kind of oversee things more or less. Uh, I try to stay away from getting into the weeds if if at all possible and stay more at the uh, higher level and provide guidance and direction. But frankly, at times uh, there's uh, I think we all find ourselves where you have to roll up your sleeves and and basically get into the weeds until things kind of get straightened out. Definitely in, in the case of an emergency, uh, long duration outages or some event that happens, it's catastrophic to the district. You basically have to also now, you know, roll up your sleeves and, you know, work along with everybody else until the emergency is taken care of. This is an issue of situational leadership that I kind of, I, I would name it more situationally driven, but my tendency under normal times is basically to get out of the way, uh, deal with the board, deal with the more uh, higher level issues that the district encounters and try to keep the staff basically running operations uh, and delivering the services that we have for our customers. So thinking about the perspective of employees or just people in the workforce, what do you think are the top skills that employees need to be successful? Well, I think one is curiosity, frankly. Uh, I think in some cases, there are employees that basically are career-oriented. They want to progress. They're, they're very eager and, and interested in move, moving up in the organization. There are other employees that are perfectly fine where they're at. They hone their skills. They're, they're good at what they do, and, and, and they feel they have a good place in the organization, and basically they're, they're satisfied to do the, you know, the work that they need to do, and that's about it. And there's other employees that basically, um, you know, have a lot of potential to continue to grow, but those are the ones you have to work with to show them or at least uh, explain to them why they have more potential, maybe what they, they realize they have. And, and I think the issue of having this array of different uh, drivers, you know, that employees uh, keep looking at uh, for, you know, personally for their own career, plus, you know, their families as well. It's something that we got to keep in mind, and and I think the aspect is that, you know, in my years, I kind of kind of realized that not everybody's interested in progressing. Not everybody is interested in being the next manager or being the next uh, senior engineer or that. So you got to respect that part of their what makes them as an individual happy in their life and where the career fits in into their objectives. And that balance of life that we always think about or talk about, uh, I'm probably the worst practitioner in that because I don't have a good balance that I can say that uh, I can say this is a good example. But I realized that, you know, it's all relative to the individual. And so in my case, I feel rewarded and satisfied to be interactive and stay basically engaged in fairly complex issues. Uh, other people get burned out in that, that, that level of activity or responsibility. And so that's where I kind of, you know, I got to be at times very careful not to project my own values and <clears throat> what I think is the right direction for somebody to take, because in essence, my values are totally different from somebody else's. So so I think you know, this is one of those issues that, you know, as the older you get and the more season you, you get, you, you start seeing these trends and this differential aspects of what people really drives people and ultimately what makes people happy 
and keeps them basically balanced in, in their life. Because there's a life after the onset of work, there's no question about it. Is that aspect of maintaining that in, in you know uh, in mind and making sure you don't trample or overburden those uh, personal time that people need. Yeah, that work-life balance is sometimes can be difficult for <clears throat> the person at the top because you're always thinking when I do work on the weekend and I I need to engage another employee. I realize you know I can't do that on the weekend. It's not an emergency. And then I'll send an email to be sent at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. And the employees are probably wondering, like, what's Barry doing? It's 7 a.m. on Monday morning. He's sending out 10 emails. What's going on here? Think back about a time when things didn't go quite right. You know, like you had a a rookie moment. Did you ever have a, a big lesson that you learned from a mistake? Oh, I had many. I mean, that's the way you learn, frankly. <laughs> and, and I think those are really, again, also going to uh, really kind of shape your your thought process in regards to what things appear to be fairly simple and straightforward. Uh, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't turn out to be the case. You know, in my case, it was really more on the aspect of, of safety. And I recall still to this day, early in my career, I was working on our power plant. And we had a steam leak in one of the boilers. Uh, we had a valve, a high-pressure valve that was just uh, basically uh, uh, had failed, and it was preventing us from really shutting down safely the the unit. And, and I remember running in uh, with a hard hat on, you know, my clothes. I mean, it, it was a plant engineer at the time, and without thinking about the aspects of the danger we were running into, basically trying to get as quickly as possible to that valve. And the more we got close, it wasn't just myself, there were other two, two or three other folks, and we, we just didn't think about the safety aspect. The closer we got, the more treacherous it got, because now the steam was really hissing uh, in, you know, a very high pressure, over 2,000 pounds per square inch. It was flashing, and... You can actually feel the heat just radiating back, and at that point, we decided to stop it. At that, you know, not getting any closer, and and uh, called the control room and you know made other provisions to get around it. But you know, it got me to think about it that here I am. You know, it, it could have been a real serious issue for myself and, and my uh, peers. And then when you start, emergency is no longer there. You think about the aspects of the actions that you took, and you think. My God, you know, this could have been a very serious injury. And then what would happen to my family, my kids? Uh, uh, the consequence is that, you know, you just don't think about it at the time. And and uh, to me, those, those were one of the, you know, that was kind of the aspect we started, for me, started really thinking about the aspect about safety around the, around the workplace, safety about, you know, my peers, you know, how to follow the procedures correctly. Because all around, you know, in a power plant or a substation or hydro facility, a transmission line, distribution line, I mean, there's all these dangers out there. And the precautions that you take and, and to make sure that you protect yourself and, and your peers is very, very important. Because it's, you know, we don't realize it, but this is, these are, could be life-changing, career-changing uh, events that uh, can not only devastate you as an individual, uh, your peers as your partners, but also your family. I had to ten, take a whole different attitude as to how how to do work and how to approach work. Yeah, it's great that that experience turned into sort of a lifetime of being concerned about others' safety. And, yes. You know, an unfortunate situation that happened, 
it's good that everybody was was safe. Uh, and then, you know, it became a great lesson for you. When you have a challenge or a tough decision, is there a process that you use to try to work through it? Well, I try to be more logical. And I think this is one of the issues that uh, <clears throat> where I guess the engineer training that I've learned, you know, basically looking at problems more systematically and look at the aspects of alternatives and also consequences kind of come into play. Because, there, you know, when you run into a situation like that, there's so many ways you can go. But the other part is also bringing other people in that may have a different look at it to just talk through or bounce ideas of alternatives. Worst thing you can do is sit in your office by yourself and believe that uh, whatever you come up with is the best mousetrap. Uh, it, uh, it, it may seem simple and, and or maybe the right thing to do at the time, but I think, you know, I learned over time that you, you, you have to be able to have somebody <laughs> you can talk to and discuss your thoughts on the matter and say, hey, you know, tell me, is this, am I missing something? Am I not looking at it from the right direction? You know, is there maybe another option or another, uh, you know, fine tuning or adjustment I can make? Because those tough decisions ultimately affect a lot of many different things, you know, affect people, affect the business environment, affect the aspects of customers. So the consequences can be uh, cascading and, you know, basically uh, like a, a wave in the ocean. It can just spread out uh, throughout, uh, you know, many, many areas. Uh, and so uh, those tough decisions, you know, is is not rushing to them, but basically thinking about it and take enough time to make sure you make the right decisions in the long run. Not, not this quick, you know, easy decision to make and move on, but basically take the time and really think think through what what uh, what are the alternatives and what's the best solution. Yeah, that's great method. What do you do outside of work that helps clear your mind? Well, you know, when I was younger, I used to play a lot of sports. Uh, as I got older, I kept adjusting my activities. Uh, so I'm kind of now back to three activities, playing golf occasionally. I don't have the time, I'm fortunate to spend a lot of time on the golf course. But playing golf, uh, uh, mountain biking, I still have my mountain bike and, and I get out and pedal around and uh, as much as I can. And then uh, just walking. Uh, uh, I think I'd find time just, you know, walking and and listening to music while I'm walking and just thinking freely on many different issues. You know, uh, sometimes just not focusing on anything specific, but just uh, looking around and, and seeing things. And it's just clears the mind, and, and I feel more invigorated when I come back, you know, after exercising. So how about, uh, do you have uh, your choice, you know, favorite book, uh, movie, podcast, song? Well, you know, so I, um, I like history uh, and, uh, and biographies, so I tend to really kind of lean more in that direction, and there are always many books that I find very fascinating in regards to people and their careers or, you know, people in history that uh, have have a lot of interesting facts that most people or most of us don't know. I mean, we, we kind of learn about luminaires in the, in the, in the past and in, in our history, but not, not a lot about the individuals or their families or their history. So uh, just about any biography is really good. History, typically, you know, anything that deals with back in the ancient history of the Romans and and the Renaissance, it was, uh, you know, areas that I really was interested in. And, you know, and, and I always thought that that was, that would have been another option for me to really, uh, if I was not going to be an engineer and musician, I was probably, you know, in a history major or something. Like that. And, uh, 
And songs, you know, I kind of uh, really kind of a uh, wide uh, spectrum from jazz all the way to, I guess the only thing I really listen to is is, uh, is a rap or hip hop. But anything in between with the country, Latin music, the uh, just uh, rock and roll, that uh, classic and some of the uh, you know more newer ones. So, I mean, it's, it's really an array of, of music. And actually, that's one of the things that I do when I, I do go for my walks. I turn on, you know, the the different stations on and I picked a certain uh, genre and just kind of lesson, you know, just to keep it active and, and, and uh, interesting. How about favorite foods? Well, you know, I, I like, uh, of course, Mexican food is my <laughs> primary one. But, you know, I, I also like uh, Indian food. I like Thai food and, of course, pizza and all the other stuff. But, you know, it, that's where another part of that is that I do experiment quite a bit uh, uh, different type of cuisines. Through the travels I had over the years uh, to both Europe and Asia, uh, I've been able to try different types of, of foods that stuck with me over time. So if you could sort of encapsulate your, uh, you know, your philosophy into like a bumper sticker, you know, either a single word or a short phrase, you know, like a brand, what would you say is what you stand for? Well, it may be uh, somewhat boring, uh, but uh, really, uh, I guess I would say if I can roll everything up into uh, one word, it's probably factual. Way that I deal with uh, issues at work and at home, I, I I do research and 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 understand or try to back up, you know, my positions on many different issues. So for me to understand, you know, to make a statement or provide uh, some. Uh, opinion, uh, I, I do base it on facts and, and uh, from that perspective. And and so I think, yeah, that's probably the word I would say, you know, factual. It's vital <laughs> to focus on facts. There's no question about that. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think, you know, going back to my, you know, training as an engineer, I mean, you deal with those aspects of science and factual issues and, and experiments that, that result in certain results and that kind of stuff. So uh, I think that's just kind of been, you know, part of my DNA. I'm, you know, uh, up to now what's some some good advice you received i mean earlier you said somebody suggested you know you can't dictate where you go or what happens but but always be ready is there anything else that you know sticks in your mind well i think the other one is not to be so concerned with failure uh there was another concept that i also learned years ago about uh your own approach to well life and doesn't your career in general and it's always the, the concern of failing. Uh, I think we've all been trained over the years that failure isn't a bad thing. But also failure, the lack of avoiding failure or avoiding failure basically also limits you as to how much you can actually achieve. And, and that was one of the things that uh, when I was mentioning to you, moving from a very comfortable career with Southern California Edison, you know, 16 years, I started, you know, very low in the organization, <clears throat> worked my way up to uh, senior management, had a very strong network of people and and leaders and so on and so forth. And leaving that behind and moving to a new location, a new territory, a new city with new um, uh, you know challenges and all that, um, that actually could have been paralyzing. But what it did for me, taking that leap of faith and, and avoiding the issue of not wanting to fail or avoiding failure, opened up so many avenues and so many opportunities for me that it's, it's basically I, uh, I could have never replicated or done when I was staying there. 
So, so I think that that whole aspect of failure at times, um, we they tend to limit our own uh, self worth and abilities that we have, and um, and and the risk taking basically, you know, it's it's uh, it's an opportunity really to grow. Yeah, that's great. How about advice that you would give a young person just starting out in their career? Well, one is uh, you know the tendency for a lot of young people is to stay within their own track there that is if you're a come out of school as you're an engineer or an accountant or a business major or or you know basically those skills that you trained and, and learned in school the the initial thought is well that's where i'm going to go and start there and then potentially stay in that track for the rest of my life well do not be afraid if opportunities come that do not necessarily align with your training. Uh, yeah, or require additional development. Maybe go back to school or take additional courses and all that to be more proficient. But uh, what's amazing is that again, going back to the comment I made earlier, people see things in you you don't see yourself. And and again, sometimes they'll bring come up to you and, and suggest to you know take a different job in a different element, and you figure, well, you know, I'm not. That's not what I know or learn or whatever. There's something inherited within you that somebody has noticed to say you would be a good fit in that area. Now, taking that opportunity, yeah, you probably have to, you may struggle a little bit to really understand what isn't required, but you very quickly realize that, you know, you'll get a knack for that. And then you have to learn more skill sets to become more proficient. I guess the bottom line is just don't limit your opportunities to what you feel is comfortable, but take the risk to step out of that role. And, and try other things that can probably grow your expertise and, and also, you know, grow your career. Well, thank you, Henry. This has been a great conversation. I've really learned a lot and I appreciate you sharing your insights. Well, thank you, Barry. And again, you know, this is a great opportunity kind of for me to reflect, <laughs> think about some of the things that you just take it for granted or things I frankly forgotten over time. But uh, these these type of questions really kind of bring to light uh, some of the things that you know have shaped uh, my my career and my growth, and and also I think from that perspective, also the aspect of being more cognizant of people and and their needs as well. So uh, thank you for the opportunity, Barry. Thanks to Henry Martinez for being our guest today, and thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, or if you know someone you think would be a great guest on the show, send me an email at bmolane at cmua.org. And please leave a five-star review, which helps others find their way to Leadership Secrets.